Season 2, Episode 5 of the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. Another great guest today coming in from Pennsylvania. This guy, we've had our battles on the field. We were teammates for a short, brief time. But, you know, there was always that respect when you look across the field and you see that guy on the other side. He was dynamic as a returner, dynamic as a DB. Another member of the All-Decade team. But without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Welcome to Episode 5, Season 2 of the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Erie, Pennsylvania. He went to the University of Iowa and was a four-year starter at defensive back, spent time with the Pittsburgh Steelers before heading to the CFL with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He made his name as a Winnipeg Blue Bomb. Played on a couple of the teams, the Montreal Wets, the Ottawa Red Blacks. And he became the first DB to ever win Defensive Player of the Year, Most Outstanding Player of the Year award. He's a two-time CFL All-Star, five-time East All-Star in his 13-year career. And recently, he is now a member of the 2010 to 2019 all decade team. Congratulations on that. Welcome to the show, Javon hey, Johnson. Always, always a pleasure to talk to my man. What's up? Same old man, just trying to be great at, the, at this next chapter of life, you know, taking it one day at a time, you know, making sure these X's and O's fit correctly so that these, these young men can go out there and perform to the best of their ability. People used to tell me we look alike, and then I started gaining weight. So I was like, man, I don't look like JJ. Somebody told me that at the 2009 Grey Cup. We were, I guess we were all hanging out um, at some CFL party in Calgary. And they're like, man, you and Javon look just alike. I, I, can, see I, can, see, I can see that a little bit. I can see I that. think it's just the, the shape of our face. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> and you're a little darker than me. You're a little darker. Yeah, little I'm darker. a little darker. Yeah, I've been in the sun a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Canada, man. The sun just now getting back out. It, it, it leaves for a while. Leaves for a oh, few yeah. months. Oh, it's about 80 today around here. Oh, that's good. How you been doing, though, other than that, man? Everything's good with COVID, and how's that process been? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenging process, but you know, finally, we got it to a point where we can play uh, the spring season. So we got the season canceled in the fall. Um, we can play in the spring. Now they got a little bit under control. We had to test every week on Wednesday, which is, is dreadful. But, you know, you got to do it in order for us to play a game on Saturday. We got to get tested Wednesday, get the results back on Thursday. If for whatever reason there is any sort of outbreak on either team, we could be playing somebody else by Saturday so we Friday we find out if we get a new opponent or not so it's definitely challenging but you just got to be prepared for the moment you know again making sure the X's and O's are aligned you know you're gonna call what you play and and what you do well Um, you know that's why we practice throughout the week but it's definitely been it's been productive for us we got some practices in in the fall um, to kind of see what these young guys were gonna all, all be about we have a very young roster, so it's, you know, we predominantly freshman and sophomore. We got about seven seniors and seven juniors, so we're really young. So we got a, we definitely got some talent that are under the radar right now. Well, that's good. So you really have to stick to what – let's be good at what we're good at when you don't yeah. know who your opponent's going to be half the time and it show up and play. And if we're good in our fundamental skills and, and our scheme is – can uphold and we'll go out and try to win some games. How's the, how's it going so far this year? Yeah. Have y'all played any games yet or what's the record? Yep. So we played five, we're two and three on the season. Um, the first two games, we just kind of started out slow. Didn't really understand what was going on. They, a lot of them, for a lot of them, it was their first college football games, you know, nerves and, you know, not being where they were supposed to be. So we got hit with a couple big plays. Um, constantly preaching don't give up the fifth plus 15 yard plays if we can limit plus 15 yard plays we're gonna be in a lot of games the last three you know we didn't give up the big play uh, and we gave ourselves a chance to win so 
our, our last game was the one that we put together the most, all three phases, you know, offense, defense, special teams, we put it all together and we ended up winning 42 to 19. So that was the best game so far. But I mean, we took our lumps the first two and then the last three we've been, we've been in the game. At defiance. What, what level is that? Is that, um, what, what level is that? Um, Division three. Division three. So mm-hmm. when you're, I see you on Instagram and I see you out there and a lot of the times you're talking about players coming in, uh, you're looking for players to send film and to do things. How do you really approach and how do you use social media to find players? And how is it when you talk to players um, figuring out that level? Right. Because, I mean, everybody at some point, you know, you go into Iowa, everybody wants to go somewhere. I was a division two walk on, but everybody has an idea when they're playing football where they want to go or what they'd like to do. Right. When you sit down in front of them and you're you're like, look, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I've accomplished. This is where I've been. And this is where I can help you get to. How's that conversation go? You know, a lot of times, you know, I kind of. When I when I start recruiting a guy, you know, I always ask him, like, what's your ultimate goal? You know, where do you see yourself in four years? Because a lot of times, like you said, a lot of these young kids, you know, they evaluate themselves as what they envision themselves to be. But as a coach, the coaches might not evaluate you at the same level that you think you're at. So, you know, I just have real conversation with them. Like, listen, I always try to recruit you know, hire like D2s, guys that are, are scholarship players that probably might not make it with the grades and things like that. And then I tell those guys who have that kind of potential to be able to play at the next level, I tell them, look, man, I've been there. I've done that. I know what to expect. I can help you get there, but you have to put the work in. Because, again, I can't go out and play for you. I already did that. So you got to make sure every day you're getting 1% better. And, you know, paying attention to the details, working your technique, being an ultimate competitor. You know, and I think a lot of young guys struggle with competition when they when they when the 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 odds are stacked against them, they just fold and they don't want to put the work in and try to to overcome the adversity of playing the game. You're not always going to be the best player on the field, but what are you going to do to make sure that you put yourself in the in the in the question as being the best player on the field? You know, and a lot of them end up checking out, transferring, leaving, going back home, saying they should have, would have, could have. And then, you know, they become a story that that people just talk about and wonder what could have happened. But, you know, the guys that stick it out for, you know, a period of time, those are the guys that end up, you know, achieving all the things that they want to achieve. And then, you know, we got a we got a couple senior guys that I've been with for the last two years. Um, that weren't really used to being pushed. And then when you push, they would pull, and then they would kind of rebel against the coaching. And then when they started to build a relationship with you, you know, they started to see what you was all about. And then those guys started to play a lot better and, and see themselves accomplishing things that they never thought they could accomplish. So we got I got a DB right now, and that was all conference last year. Um, he's a senior this year and, and he's probably going to get some looks NFL looks I, I've talked to some NFL coaches and GMs about him um, definitely could be a CFL player um, de- I mean he has the, the tools and the skill set but it, if if he never got coached or pushed he would have never thought that that stuff would have been attainable because nobody really yeah. challenged him at all he, he's a kid from Detroit mentally he's like Got that? He got that Charleston. attitude about you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like he got he got that he got that factor, you know. And, and there's some things you just can't teach a player, but he he got that, and you know that's what I like about him the most. But when it comes to recruiting, I just try to be honest with him. You know, we're not a scholarship program, so you know you might have to use financial aid, all the means that we can get you scholarship money. Um, and you might have to pay a little something, and you know. Yeah make it worth it. At the end of the day, you want to make sure you get your degree. That's the most important part. You know, that's why they label student athlete the way they do. Um, you get your degree first and then, you know, whatever happens in the football world, you know, that that's something that you can hang your hat on, but you know, you can never take that degree away. So we always preach that too. 
Yeah, that's good, man. That's good that you can sit down with these kids and just be honest with them. Because I think, you know, that's the, you know, sometimes your parents, uh, they're not honest. Sometimes you you see people um, that hype these kids up in the community. And I always tell, like I tell my nephew, I'm like, it's not the, it's not about being the best athlete at your school. There's over 1,700 schools in Texas. It's not yeah. about being the best in your region. It's not about being the best in your state. Like, you understand there's 119 D1s. I don't know how many D2s and D3s there are, but I'm pretty yeah. sure there's probably not over 300 schools, you know, three or 400 schools when you're looking at all of them. Mm-hmm. And just in Texas alone at 1,700 schools, being the best player at your school doesn't even qualify you to get be you know being the top one percent of your college choices right right so it, it has to go so much further and you have to have that compete level right you had that compete level you weren't afraid to step on the field and compete uh with guys and you know it shows that you're all decade team what was that feeling like when you when you got the award i mean i, I honestly was surprised because Shit, I haven't played. I feel like it feel like forever, <laughs> but but, but I, it's been it's been a few years, you know. And then in my last two years in Saskatchewan, I mean, kind of up and down. You know, I had a good year in eight and uh, seventeen, but eighteen, I was on and off the roster, and you know, you just never know. But I guess the years before that, those seven years in in the early two thousand and tens, you know, was was good years for me. So. Uh, part of it probably was the fact that I won defensive player of the year in 11. Um, but I, I did have some consistent years, you know, in the early part of that decade. Um, and and I, the players around me, man, they pushed me to just be better than I ever thought I was going to be. Like, you know, Clint Kitt and Super and Brandon Stewart and those guys, Hefney, you know, every day was a challenge. It was like they would challenge me like, who's going to come out with the most interceptions in practice today. And then practice would just be turned up. Like we took practice as an opportunity for us to challenge each other and challenge the offense to see who was going to win the day. And then on game days, it felt like, you know, it was easy for us. You know, it was easy because we were so used to competing against each other that when we competed against other people, it was just like, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. So let's just go out and ball. So when I congratulated, man, you said they'll still messed up what I did. Yeah. Fill me in on that. I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know what? Come on the podcast and let's talk about it. Oh, man. I, I remember multiple times vividly when we played Calgary when you was there. And that uh, my first game, they, they told me throughout the week, they was like, we don't know who's going to play Sam. So I'm like, well, fuck it. Put me at Sam. You know, we'll, we'll, just rock with it and see how it goes. And then the first game we played against y'all in Calgary, and I'm like, oh, shit, I should have th- second thought this decision. You know, I got to play against Nick the first game. I'm like, you're talking <laughs> about one of, one, of the, one of the best to ever do it. You know, I don't watch this man annihilate people and decapitate defensive ends on crack blocks, and you telling me I got to go out and cover him for the whole game? You must be kidding. So, you know, you, you hit me with a couple routes. You know, and to me being a cover guy, I'm like, you know, I'm a cover corner. Like, I can get in there and, and, and hold my own. And then, you know, I got routed up a few times against you, missed a bunch of tackles. They ran the ball at me. I don't know how many times I said, you know what, maybe Coach Sam ain't for me. So, you know, that definitely was my you, one man. game. My one, one game at Sam, and it was over with that fast, quick as it got started. Dude, I told you coming into it, I said, man, because I remember, I remember the week very vividly. Uh, you ha- y'all had a bunch of DBs that were very talented. Yeah. And uh, somebody went down at Sam. I can't remember what DB went down at Sam, uh, but I don't know if it was Kent or some- one of the DBs went down at Sam. And um, I remember reading the paper that they didn't know who was going to play Sam, and you were like, you know what, I'll do it. One, it shows it shows two competitiveness to to step up and play a position you've never played for. And for people that don't know the CFL, the Sam position is one of the hardest. Yes, like you got to play, you got to play the run. Um, you know, you know, one of my last episodes, I had Shannon James on here. You know, you got to play the run. You got to play DB. You got to do everything in the box. And in the way that I used to put everything together 
from making it look like I'm going to come block you and then swim you and run an out route. And DBs would always brace themselves for me to hit them. And then I'm swimming them into my out route. And they're like, oh, shit. Or, you know, <laughs> jogging off the ball. Like, you're, you're playing one to the boundary. That guy's coming off the ball three, four steps every time. I'm jogging mm-hmm. off the ball, look like I ain't doing nothing. And then here I am getting an eight-yard catch. Right? Yep. So a lot of those things with, with rhythm and flow was just so different. But you got to pick that game. Hank threw one behind me. You got to pick. I was so pissed off. Cause I was really, I was really in my flow. Like I'm, I'm about to show you that you do not come in here. And, um, you know, for, and for me, it was kind of a personal thing. You know, you, you stepped up to say, Hey, I want to come down here and challenge this man. And, um, no, it was a fun game. No, I remember it. Um, I'm glad I told you after the game, I said, man, you better take your ass back out to the edge. Yeah. You ain't had to tell me twice. I said, shit, you know what? You absolutely right. Go and put me back on the corner. I can't get in there. That's too much work. Man, corners is coming downhill. You got, you got the fullbacks coming out, cutting you and everything in there. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot in that box, you know, that's, but, that's what made me respect Chip Cox even more. You know, for for the years that he played, because man, just being in there and seeing how hard it is to be able to go in there and do it, like I respected him even more after that because of, of just that ebb and flow of playing Sam. Like it, it's definitely the hardest position to play on the field for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's so much going on in that box, and nobody really understands quite what's going on. And nobody understands the difficulties of fullbacks motioning across, linebackers in your way, all the motion running across this side, running across that side. Yeah. It's a little different yeah. when you're coming from the halfback positions because you can be deeper. Most times Sam play a little bit closer to the box to protect against the run and things like that. But, man, I always say I applaud you for, for stepping up and, and doing that for your team because somebody had to take the bullet and you took yeah. it. Yeah, I took, took it. it. I took it. <laughs> but you got to pick out of it. Hank, Hank threw you one. He threw you a bone. He, he, gave, me a free, he gave me a free one for sure. <laughs> hey, if you'd have seen, I, I, wish, I wish I could post a picture of my face when you got that pick. It was just like, <laughs> I was just like, I cannot believe this because I was so ready. I was so ready for that one. No, yeah, that was fun, man. though. But, yeah, like. One of the things I've always seen too, like you post a lot of stuff on social media and, and I look at your videos and some of the things seems to me, you still want to play. You still want to play? I don't know. I, I, I mean, part of me, part of me. Yes. But the day-to-day grind of being a player and, and having to work out all the time and get on the field and do extra work and conditioning and all that. I don't know if I got the willpower to go back out there and, and have to get in shape and do all that over again. I mean, I do it at practice with our DBs just to kind of show and tell, but as far as playing, I don't know. If, I mean, if, if I had to take some serious thought into that. If I had the opportunity to do it, I could do it for maybe a year, maybe two, but I mean, it definitely would be something I have to take serious consideration about because I don't know if I really have that drive to just keep doing it again. Do you think you get the credit you deserve? I mean, I, I think yes and no. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, all of the stuff that I've accomplished kind of gets overlooked. I mean, you know, being a player for so long and, and doing things for so long, Oftentimes it's it's expected, like people expected me to go out there and turn the ball over or get interceptions and make plays. But, you know, the amount of things and the, the different ways that I affected the game, they didn't they don't really give me credit for. You know, I was I'm the all time leading punt return yardage uh, guy in Winnipeg's history. You know, I never I really get talked about as a returner. You know, I had I didn't know that. three three, four punt return touchdowns in a season. Probably had seven, but I got about three or four of them called back. But, you know, I, I, I was able to affect – I even returned kickoffs that people probably don't even know about. You know, not, I just affected the game in so many ways that a lot of people don't give me credit for 
you know, I was I was solid as they come as a DB, consistent. But, you know, I think I, I still left plays out there a lot of times. I dropped a lot of picks. But, you know, I definitely affected the game. And I, I don't get credit for all that I did. I, get, I do get credit for, you know, turning the ball over and making interceptions. But I affected the game in more ways than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very I, – I didn't even know that you had the record for punt return yards in Winnipeg history, mm-hmm. right? It's just – that's it's crazy stuff. You know, when I first came into the league, way before you got there, I was a punt returner. Um, you know, I in college I averaged uh, 21-9 a punt return uh, my senior year. And, you know, I returned punts till Rambo came in. We kind of split duties. Well, my, my rookie year, me and Wayne McGarity split duty. Then my second year, me and Rambo split duty. And then my third year, it was just Rambo. And then Marcus Howard came in and some of those guys. So uh, mm-hmm. my punt retain – Return, uh, punt return days were done uh, at that point. <laughs> it was yeah. like, yeah, you go. I used to go play receiver. You know what? Come out here and block somebody on punt team. I had a block punt too against John Ryan. Um, so that was pretty cool. It was in, it was in Winnipeg too when he used to play for Winnipeg. But um, yeah, man, and it just goes to show that some of these things just aren't talked about. You know, we yeah. do see people as kind of one-sided or what they do and um special teams unless you're like a special teams person you know they don't even talk about Brandon Bates on special teams anymore really because of he's offensive now yeah right but when you're when you're just a special teams guy you know they're they're very special and we can we understand how they change games and you know in Calgary our motto you know Huff would always say you come out on offense or defense you don't come out on special teams because yeah. it's such an important play. But when we look at it from a fan's point of view, I guess, or um, just when we analyze sports, we don't really take in consideration guys that do both. Yep. Yep. And I did. I did both. I mean, I I returned punts. I returned kickoffs. I, at one point in my career, I even told them, you know, when the guy took over for me as a punt returner, I told him, well, if you're going to take me off punt return, put me on the corner on punt return so that I can block for him, you know, and things like that. You know, I, I returned, I got a missed field goal return for 118 for a touchdown. You know, I, I got plays that, you know, I just affected the game on special teams that really never, ever gets talked about at all. Let's play your best. Mm-hmm. Your best three punt returners that you think to ever do it in the CFL any league or any league. Okay. I'm going to have to go with, um, Devin Hester. Um, my man from the chiefs, the, the, uh, the little guy, Dante Hall, Dante Hall, joystick, Texas and him. Yep. And then I, then I, then I go with Brandon Banks. I think Brandon Banks is special. Hey man, that boy got speed, speed. Yeah, he got he got next level speed. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the league when uh, Bashir Levinson played? No, I wasn't. Or was that uh-huh. before you? Yeah, it was hey, before. That's another dude. He's a DB, but he was like Brandon Banks, but bigger. He played DB. He was a little taller that's, and that's bigger. Scary. And one time against we played Toronto, we missed a field goal. I think it was, or it was a missed field goal or a punt, but he just starts walking towards our sideline and like he starts jogging he's in the back of the end zones he he basically cuts it off like five yards for the back for the sideline hits by the time he's hits the sideline he's at the end zone line he runs a straight line outruns everybody for a touchdown <laughs> yeah that's that's different that's different now. I wish I had the video to show this. It was different, different. I'm looking like, okay, he's about to just take the safety. Looks like he's wasting some time. And then he just takes off on a straight line. Nah. Not many people can run a straight line and, and, and outrun angles and everything, right? So, yeah, uh, those are different speeds. What's your fo- top five DBs? Um, Ever. Uh, yeah. Deion Sanders. Yep. Darrell Revis. Um, 
I'm going to have to go with Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson, and Ronnie Lott. Mm. Ronnie Lott bring that thunder. Yeah. He, Four great he cover a, guys, and then you and you go in with Ronnie Lott to finish it off. Yeah. Covers first safety. I, I would put Ed Reed in that category. You know, you could, you could kind of go with a bunch of different guys at the safety position, but I didn't want to go five corners, so. Yeah. In the CFL, what was the top three guys hardest to cover? Top, top three? Um, you, Nick Lewis, Kenyon Rambo, and – Arlen Jermaine Bruce. Copeland, go ahead and say it. Now, Arlen, Arlen Bruce is that deal, Arlen man. Arlen Bruce, was, Arlen Bruce was nice. He was so slick with it, too. He was, he was nice. <laughs> he, I always he, say Rambo's he, the best receiver. He, you know, he was the best receiver I played against, hands down. Dude, he was, just being able to run as fast as he could, chop it down, break it down, come up out of it, running, open his gate, run any route in the playbook. That dude, t- to me – that was the most gifted receiver, and I'm talking about, like, that I've seen personally. I've seen a lot of NFL guys that can't do what he did. Yeah, he's different. A, yeah. Definitely different. That dude is like something different, different. But, you know, I appreciate you putting me on the list, man. That's that's awesome. I feel like that was different, though. I don't know. You might You might feel different if I lined up on the edge where you had to hard everybody else. But in the box, I think I think it could be just in the box. Yeah, that <laughs> in the box right was now, different. In, in that box is different, man. It's different. And I think a lot of people that had to line up in that box would would definitely say the same. Like they they respected, you know, the way you played, and you know, having to tackle you on on a regular basis and cover you on a regular basis, worry about getting blocked. Like you did it all, and it was just. You know, a lot of guys that play the game at a at a high level can appreciate, you know, the impact that you had at the receiver position, especially playing in that slot. If you had to rank the the positions, so field corner, field half, Sam, boundary corner, boundary half, one through five and hardest to least hardest, how would you rank it? Because you played all over. You played all over. So I'll if you had to rank it, what would what would be the hardest in those five? The the Sam Sam would be number one. All right. Um, two. Two, the boundary halfback position would be probably two. Two and the boundary corner, boundary half, two and three, because you know, you're playing the best two guys in the boundary yep. pretty much. Um, the field half would be four, and then the field corner would be the least would be the easiest. What I'd was your favorite spot to play? <laughs> uh, in Thorpe defense, I, I love playing the, the boundary halfback because I really didn't have to play man-to-man on anybody on a regular basis, and I blitzed a lot. Read? So I was, I was more, huh? Did you route read? Yeah, I route read. Yep, we route read a lot. Um, but I never really had to. I was more so – uh, over the top kind of zone defender blitzed a lot active in the blitz game. So I was able to make a lot of plays when they tried to attack the corner. Cause I was kind of just kind of hanging a lot, but boundary corner for me was just like my natural. Like I felt like I was in the U S when I played at boundary corner. So it was just natural for me. Growing up in Pennsylvania, what high school did you go to? I went to Mercer's Prep. Was that a big high school? Like small school, big school? Uh, we probably would be considered a small school, 2A. And in Pennsylvania, 4A was the highest. So we was a 2A. Um, but prep school, so we didn't have as many students as everybody else. We only had about 35 players on the football team. Okay. So it was, yeah. I mean, Smaller in nature. Do you go both ways? Yeah, I played quarterback in high school, and then I played corner. I never came off the field. I played punt returner, kick returner, kickoff, punt. I was on every everything. 
Yeah, that's like me. We had 23 players. We had eight starters go both ways. Only time mm-hmm. I came off the field was on kickoff team. Yeah. They just knew my ass was lazy, and I wasn't about to run down that field. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Hell, no. and, then, and then if somebody broke loose, I wasn't about to go catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I so I couldn't play that. safety. <laughs> that's what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my teammate on my team that played safety for us, that's on the kickoff team. He was the 10-3 track guy. So, shit, if you broke, you you there wasn't going to make it to the end zone. <laughs> no, just tell him to go stand on the logo. <laughs> yeah. On the kickoff, just go stand on the logo. Yeah, he just chill. Man, I, I remember Quan Cosby, um, if you remember that name, played for the Bengals, played at Texas. I uh, actually wouldn't play baseball at high school, so he didn't he didn't actually go to Texas to play football, I think, until he was like 26 or 27. Because he got drafted out of high school to play baseball. But I remember watching him play in high, high school. They they had one safety in the middle of the field, and it was him. And he I think he was a 10-3 or 10-4 guy. And yeah. they threw a fade down the sideline, and he he just crushed the receiver. I'm like, how does he make it from where he was standing to the time the ball gets there, he's hitting the receiver on the sideline. It's, it's just amazing. That's what speed does, though. Yeah, it makes a big difference. I wish I had it. Yeah. So growing up, you you go there. What's the aspirations of getting out of college and how did you end up at Iowa? I was a basketball player growing up. I didn't I mean, I started playing football eighth grade. I mean, I played pickup flag just messing around, but I never really took it serious until the eighth grade. And uh, my teammate, the one the, the other corner that played with me in high school my last couple of years. He just, eighth grade, we played together. He told me to come play football. I was like, man. But then I did it, played quarterback. My eighth grade year, we went undefeated, so I kind of started to like it a little bit. Um, I had all the the high schools in the city was trying to get me to come play basketball for them. And, uh, and then I ended up choosing the school that all my friends went to for the first two years. We really, I mean, we had all the potential in the world, all the athletes in the world, but you know, guys not showing up to practice who rather hang out, smoke weed after practice than go to practice or be after school than go to practice. So we would get in games. And even though we was the most athletic, we would not win because we would not, guys wouldn't be where they supposed to be just kind of doing whatever they wanted to do. So I transferred after my sophomore year because I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I went to prep school and then everything changed. I, I was with guys that was disciplined showed up one time, ready to work. And then we went from – I went from losing every game to winning every game, and it was just different. Probably less talent, too. Yeah, talent. We had talent, too. I mean, we probably wasn't the most talented, but, you know, our discipline and, and the guys that we did have, the athletes that we did have, was we all went D1. So it was like, you know, we had role players. We had guys that knew they knew was going to play well, et cetera. Iowa, how, how that came about. My teammate, the other corner, was 6'1", 190 pounds, the 10-3 guy in uh, high school, won the state champion in the track in 100 and 200. Um, every school was coming in to see him. It was no question that they was coming to see him. Iowa really wanted him, um, but he told them when he was in there with them that he wasn't going to go there unless they offered his brother, who was our tailback. And uh, – and they was like, nah, you know, we really want you. Like, either you're going to come or you're not. He was like, well, I ain't coming. So he was like, I got a corner on my team, you know, that's just as good as me that y'all should consider recruiting. If, if y'all not going to get me, y'all might as well get him. And then the, the DB coach, um, he was he was getting ready to leave, and he came in and watched me at basketball practice for about a couple minutes. And then he called me over and asked me if I could dunk a basketball and I told him, yeah. And then he he told me to show him. So I dunked it. At five, six? Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Five, 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 six. <laughs> I ain't five, five, six now. I'm about five, nine now. But, yeah. But he, he asked me to dunk the ball. And I dunked it. And then he just walked out. And then I was like, damn, well, I, maybe that wasn't impressive to him. But the next day, they offered me a scholarship. So awesome. I was like, shit, you know, it's a no brainer for me. I mean, I got Kent State. I had offered me 
um, and in Iowa. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Iowa. Went on a visit. I knew it was a place to be for me. We already had two Erie guys there, Bob Sanders and Ed Hinkle. They were already there. Bob's nice. It Bob felt was like, reckless. Yeah, he was reckless. But, you know, that, that's my guy growing up. So it felt like home for me. I knew he was going to make sure I was, you know, taken care of and doing what I was supposed to do. He held me accountable, pushed me to my limits. So, you know, he definitely played a part in how successful I was throughout my career. But, you know, coming in as a true freshman there, you know, having him there over the summer, we went through the playbook to and to, I mean, we looked at that shit every day over and over and over again. He would quiz me, challenge me, ask me questions about adjustments, alignments, this, that, you know, the whole nine yards. So before training camp, I already knew everything that was going on. So my freshman year, the first the first week or two at training camp, I was making adjustments and ready to do th things that the other freshman DBs didn't know nothing about because they didn't get there till training camp. Yeah. So you know, I was already ahead of the curve. And I, I encourage any college player, you know, to go. If you already graduated high school and you go into college, you should take the summer to go get around your new teammates and see what the vibe is like, get accustomed to the environment, you know, learn the ins and outs about the next level. Cause if you show up in training camp, you gonna already be behind eight ball. Cause there's a lot of guys that have been training throughout the summer that have been there, you know, that's all vouching to try to get that one spot or two spots or whatever it is. So, you know, being ahead of that curve helped me play as a freshman. And then I just made noise on special teams. Cause again, you know, special teams is vitally important and then offense and defense. So, you know, that's how I really started to come into his own. I was a gunner on punt, making plays, kickoff, making plays. So the first three games of the season in college as a freshman, we would have blowout games. Like we, the first three games was like warm up games for us. So, yeah. and those, and those second halves, we up 35, 42 to nothing at halftime. So coach, like get ready. You going in that corner. Then in those three first three games, I had three interceptions from in the second half of the games. So going into week four, coach was like, shit, we got to make a decision. This dude getting the ball back for us. And the guy in front of me was a senior. They told him they was going with the freshman. And, you know, he was pissed off. He didn't talk to me much no more. And, but it and wasn't I, your decision. I never understood yeah, that about players. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Our job is to compete, push each other, make yeah. each other better. But I don't choose who plays and you don't choose who plays. So. I'm not gonna get mad at you for playing. I can be pissed off at the coach, or I can go grind. And I mean, I understand that situation. You don't put in so much for four or five years, and you get mm -hmm. the job. But but that's the thing about it. Somebody's always coming for the job. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that one thing about one thing they told us in the NFL that really kind of stuck, like stuck with me is the player personnel guy came in to all the rookies and he told us day one, he said his number one job is to find somebody to replace you. So, you know, and that, that really stuck with me because I'm like, damn, like it's that easy for somebody. Like there's millions of players that have the same skills that you have that, that can come in and, and play that spot. So you got to make sure you're on top of your, you're on top of your game every day. And that yeah. starts and ends with competition technique, alignment fundamentals you got to be you got to be sharp every day so you know i tell my players even. that now hey you can't be even if he cheaper no hell yeah you can't be even with the pro cheaper. game it can't even be close yes I used, to, I used to tell Pete Pete Costanza when he used to always come in there every time before training camp hey hey Lou come here I got something for you and he showed me these guys highlight films. Oh, this guy's coming from Florida State, or this guy's coming from this school. This guy's coming from here. Look at his highlights. <laughs> I'm looking like, let's eat. You know what I'm saying? Because I know their job is to replace me every year. Mm -hmm. You know yep. what I'm saying? That's their only yep. job is to get better. And the only way you can get better is for you to get better or for them to replace you with somebody better. Right. Right. Yep. So you have to love that competition. Just goes back to what you were talking about earlier. Uh, with some of your younger guys and, and, you know, just that mindset of saying, okay, I'm at a division three school. I'm not as great as I can be. I might be the best player here or best in the conference, but I'm competing with people on a D one level. 
I'm competing with people on a D2 level. I'm competing with people, you know, that's semi-pro or, you know, that's in these smaller leagues. I'm competing with everybody to get to this point. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's really cool to see that you had that mindset from an early age, uh, you know, going through high school, going through college uh, to, to get the job. I mean, I heard the summer program in Iowa is insane. It is. It is. Like, it, I don't know if it, you, you, what, what year did you get to Iowa? 2002. Okay. So you probably know Jordan Babineau. Yeah, that's my guy. So Jordan and I went into Southern Arkansas at the same time. Jordan yep. would leave Southern Arkansas in the summer and go work out with and Jonathan's out brother with, yeah. Yeah, at Iowa. Yep. And he would just be like, man, their summer workouts are insane. But I could Absolutely. see the transformation of Jordan going from our junior year to our, I mean, you know, from our sophomore year to junior year and junior to senior year. You could see the work that he was doing, that he was totally dedicated to doing that. You know, my yep. summers were was filled with something different. I was hanging out. I was chilling. And, you know, I'd be working out on my own or working out with my – but going to my senior year, I had a personal trainer and, and things like that. But tell, tell us a little bit about that Iowa summer program. Yeah, the, the strength and the conditioning staff at Iowa is, is you know, exceptional. You know, Co Coach Doyle, even though, you know, a lot of people – think that he's a bad guy now after all the allegations and stuff happened. Um, but he really, you know, take it to heart in preparing players for, you know, next level. So, you know, over the summer, you we would do things, I mean, you know, strongman competitions where we used to push gators, you know, the big rocks that the strongman guys pick up and all that. Like we would have to put the rock on the back of the gator push the gator 50 yards, you know, like, man, when I tell you, we used to, we used to go in the weight room do all the core lifts and all of that stuff, you know, but everything was a competition. Like one day we, we would have like a competition for, you know, body weight squats. So like whatever you weigh, however many you could do, like it was a competition of the day. Everything was a competition and everybody got better and, and rewarded from it because of how hard guys went. And I remember Jordan coming up for those years. I was actually a young guy, freshman, sophomore year when he came up. Um, but he he definitely was one of those guys that was, you know, all about competition. So he fit right in to the fold of, of how we were doing things. And, you know, he won a lot. Shit, Jordan was one of the best, one of the best players. I mean, that a lot of us had seen. He was different for sure. And his brother was the same way. And, I mean, that's why they played so many years in the NFL. You know, it was different, but, you know, that training program was definitely second to none. Like, it was crazy. A lot of the stuff that we had to do and the, the shit that your body had to endure, like, it was it was definitely different. Going into the Steelers, did you go as a free agent? Yeah, I did. So, I talked to Shannon. I talked to a lot of guys about, one, maturity when they first mm -hmm. get to the NFL coming out of college or, you know, expecting something different. What was your mindset going into the Steelers and how did everything play out? Uh, my mindset was I wasn't going in to be friends with nobody, you know, and I, and I was going in to try to get myself, you know, opportunity to make money for my family. And if, if you was in the way, then you just was going to hate me because I was coming to try to get that spot, no matter how you felt about it. I mean, that was my mindset going into college, but going into NFL was different because we now get paid. Like we're paid athletes to do a job. So I wanted to be better than everybody else. You know, unfortunately, you know, we had some some guys that was next level. That was that was really fucking good. You know, you talk about Ike Taylor. You know, he was he was exceptional, you know, and Deshae Townsend was was a brainiac, like a very intelligent player who could see things and analyze and process things before they happen. Like, you know, you got those two guys starting at the corner and then you had. Troy Polamalu and Ryan Clark was the two safeties. So, you know, our secondary was, was, was like that. Like you got pro bowl players yeah. all over the field. And then our, I thought in my estimation, I thought our third corner, Brian McFadden out of Florida state was the best corner we had on our team. Yeah, and he, he was the nickel. 
So I'm like, shit, you know, where do you fit in? You, you got to get in where you fit in. So special teams were the only way for you to get on the field. So, you know, being that I was a returner, that kind of helped me out a little bit. I was able to return punts and kickoffs. Um, but shit, I went back to my roots, man. Like how it started at Iowa, I was going to do the same thing at in Pittsburgh. I played on kickoff. I was a gunner on punt. I was on every special teams, and I was trying to get on film as much as I could so that other teams could see me. I never really, I never really thought about, you know, just limiting myself to just one team. I wanted everybody to see it. If it was on film, the eye in the sky don't lie. So, you know, I, I just went out, played, you know, as the season went on, you know, and I started to play more on special teams. I started to get more opportunities in the secondary. And, you know, I made, I was able to make some plays and, uh, and they kept me for the second year. But the thing that, that hurt me was the fact that, you know, they wanted to go younger at the corner position with Ike and DeShay getting older, you know, and then you had McFadden who was going to take over at, for one of those guys. And then they drafted William Gay. So, you yeah. know, it was kind of a decision they had to make, you know, they had a corner that was going into the last year of his contract. Um, Ricardo Coakley, he ended up playing in the CFL for a year or two, I think at halfback. Yeah. Um, he went to touch He's a D2 guy. Yep. Yeah, so he, he was a second rounder. You know, and he was going into the last year of his deal. So, you know, it was either me or him. So they wanted to see if he was going to mount to, I mean, plus the, the defensive back coach, uh, Ray Horton, he uh, he worked him out at his pro day and, and, you know, kind of fell in love with him as a player. So, you know, he had him drafted that high. So you, you can't really compete with that, you know, and, and my agent at the time really didn't help me out at, at all. So kind of hurt me more than help. Then I ended yeah. up in the CFL. You know, I Ricardo, we, you know, Division Two does the the brackets, the playoff system. They don't know the bowls, and and I was hoping we we got them in that playoff system because <laughs> I was really looking forward to playing against him because everybody was talking about he was the best, and I was like, well, let's get this thing, let's get it going, <laughs> right? I don't yeah. know if you know Evans Oglesby uh, played for the Cowboys and the Ravens, yep. but yeah, played at North Alabama, but. Yeah, I gave him that business when we played them, and yeah. it's the same thing. I was I was always about that competition. Like you show me who the best is, that's who I want. Right. That's who I want. I don't I don't I don't care about everybody else. If you're not talking about the best, I don't really care about it. But if you're gonna show <laughs> me who the best is, let's go yeah. compete. Because even if I come up short, at least I know where I stack up. At least I know where I can go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Going to the CFL for the first time, you win a great cup with Saskatchewan. But you're on the PR most of the year. How yep. was it going from what was your first of all, what was your mindset coming from the NFL to the CFL? And then second, like how was it being on PR most of the year? I mean, when I when I because when I first got there to Saskatchewan, you know, they had called me for weeks on weeks on weeks, the general manager, and he said, you know, they needed the DB to come in and play right away. So my whole thing was I'm, I'm trying to get on the team in the NFL. You know, the phone wasn't ringing. So I'm like, well, this is going to be an opportunity for me to go kind of get some film and get back down south. So when I got up there, they put me on practice squad. And I was like, shit, well, you know, if, if I'm going to do this, I might as well go back home and keep waiting for a call. Like, why? Like, why you got me up here? And you told me you was bringing me in to play. And, uh, and at the time, Eddie Davis was – the leader of the group in Saskatchewan. Yeah. So, you know, again, with my personality and, and how I competed, it kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Cause like, I'm like, listen, I'm not no scout team player. Like I'm better than this. So they would put me on scout team and they would try to do things and I would fuck the whole practice up. Like, cause I'm like, I'm never going to create, I'm never going to practice bad habits. Like you want me to do something that I'm not going to do. So I would pick the ball off, run it back for touchdowns, and then they were they were like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, take me off the scout. If you don't want to, if you want somebody that's gonna get out here and just kind of go through the motions for you, put somebody else on scout team." And then they started me the second game because James Johnson got hurt, and I ended up going out there in the Edmonton game. I had I think nine tackles or something like that, and then one of the tackles I had hit a guy on the sideline, and when I hit him. I tried to strip the ball from him and he spent off, he spent off the, off the tackle. 
and I ended up missing the tackle. So they called me in the office and said I was shying away from making tackles. I'm like, I've been doing this for I don't know how long, and I've never <laughs> turned down a tackle in my entire life. And playing in the Big Ten, too. Way. Yeah, and I played in the Big Ten against running backs that was 230 pounds. Lawrence Maroney, first-round draft pick. I mean, Marion Barber, these guys, I got to tackle them on a regular basis. Do you mean to tell me this 150-pound receiver – I'm shying away from a tackle from like, you make no sense. So, but it was, it was just their way of, of getting him back on the field. Cause he was, he seen that I was out there getting to it. And he was like, I'm not going to give this dude enough opportunities to take my position. So he came back quick and then they put me back down. They ended up uh, keeping me on the reserve and then the great cup game. They put me on practice roster because in practice, La Police, he made a comment to the quarterback about hitting the receiver, you know, when he come out the break and, and he, and he kind of made a gesture like, Ooh, it's going to be a big play. So mind you, it's like 20 degrees below zero and we outside practicing. So I was like, nobody wanted to be out here. So like I mocked him at practice and then they got mad about it and they put me on practice squad for the great cup. And I sold the ring because they put me, I was like, fuck that. Like, y'all don't value me as a player. So I, I was here for, what, maybe six weeks. So you could keep your ring and all that, and I'm going to go get me another one. And it ain't happened. So I'm pissed I sold my ring. <laughs> <laughs> Going to Winnipeg, that's where you, that's where you, everybody learned who Javon Johnson was. Absolutely. You know, you talked about the guys that you had around you earlier, <laughs> a lot of talent with, with the guys there with half who, who I got a hell of respect for come out there, hit, make plays, know the game and compete his compete level. You know, you, you talk about Clint Ken earlier, uh, Brandon Stewart, who, who gave him to Calgary first and then came over to Winnipeg and mm-hmm. I got to play with him, Calgary and Montreal. But, you know, what was that like? Just, well, let's go to 2011. Mm-hmm. That was the year. It yeah. all came together. Uh, you guys were s- selling the the what was the shirt y'all had? Swaggerville. Swaggerville <laughs> shirt. Everything was going on. It just like y'all got on a roll, and it just everything just started popping. Talk to us about 2011 and how that all that team just came together in that defense. Well, the the thing the the crazy thing is in 2010. We were just as good. I mean, we we went and believe it or not, we went four and fourteen, but we were just as good in 2010 as we were in 11. We lost nine games by three points or less. So I mean, we just couldn't finish. And Cavis kind of brought us and introduced us to the whole match defense concept. And like nobody really ever taught us that, but. Then he ended up taking the head coaching job in Edmonton in 11. And then Coach Burke from Montreal came over. Um, and he kind of – he was more of a man-to-man guy. Like, he only wanted to play man. He wanted to press, play everybody man-to-man. And I told him – I pulled him to the side one day. I'm like, listen, Coach, I, I respect your opinion as a coach and how you want to do things. But we're so accustomed to playing this match concept, and it worked for us with the guys we have can we mix it in? And he was like, yeah, but you're going to have to teach it. So I'm like, well, shit, that's easy. We've been doing it for a whole year. So we, we know how to do it. So just call it and then, and we'll play it and we'll do it exactly how we did it before. So he ended up like, we would literally run two defenses. We would run match on first down. We were a man on second. Like that was, that was what we did. Cause he was like, well, we need to throw the timing off. That was his big thing. Throwing the timing off between the quarterback and receivers. So we would play man-to-man on second. You know, we didn't win them all. We lost some battles on second down, but we won more than we lost. So we ended up the first eight games in 11, we jumped out the gates and was seven and one. Yeah. And uh, But a part of that was our defensive front was outstanding. You know, we had Doug Brown, 6'8", clawed up the middle, Hall of Famer. Then you had you had Odell Willis and Phillip Hunt on the, on the ends. I mean – Shit, they was both speed rushers and getting to the quarterback. I mean, they was they was young guys and they didn't know no better, but they was they was mauling themselves after what Charleston was doing over there in Calgary. Like, you know, you watch them, they was trying to model themselves after him. So, you know, they they did a great job for us. And then we had Enoch 
in the middle and Joe Lobendon as our two middle linebackers, which was both mm-hmm. headhunters. So we we had we had a, a defense that was just kind of the the great come together of of a twelve guys that you know just all kind of understood each other. So it it all worked itself out. So that that kind of that's kind of how it played out. Now that twenty eleven team. We had three guys that could have been defensive player of the year. I just was fortunate enough to be the one to represent it. But Hef, I thought Hef year was better than mine, in my honest opinion. I mean, the kid, he had 120 tackles or something crazy like that. He had six interceptions. He had probably two or three sacks. Like, ain't no telling how many PBUs. You know, I was just more of a media favorite. They, they, the media loved me because of one Odell always did the whole swagger real thing. So it was like, you know, it brought a lot of attention to that. And then they always want to ask about who started it, who, who came up with the name. So like, I was always in the forefront talking about Swaggerville and that kind of put me over the edge with the media. Cause I ended up getting more first place media votes than he did, but he got more first place votes from the, uh, from the staff, like the, the, the players and the and the staff members. So that's how I ended up winning. But he he definitely had a better year than me. Yeah. It's just amazing, you know, when you know athletes, how we can recollect and see all these different things. It's just like like me when I when I talk about Rambo and talk about other people. And mm-hmm. it's for me, it was such such an honor to play with those guys and, and to be able to uh go out there and compete and have fun and and be on the same field as those guys and watch those guys compete. Yeah. And what I'm coming to is Montreal. And, you know, you're a basketball guy. I'm a basketball guy. I look at the Brooklyn Nets. And before we talk about Montreal, everybody talks about LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin going to the Nets. And, like, oh, it's unfair. Why are they going to the Nets? Why don't they go compete against them? But, you know, everybody was kind of talking down on them. But then I look at yeah. us all in Montreal with Ryan Phillips, you, myself, John Bowman, Chip Cox, you know, so many veterans that could potentially be Hall of Famers one day. Mm-hmm. All on one team, you know, SJ and um, Fred Stamps when I was there and Suddy and Rutt and Steph Logan and, you know, so many dynamic players. When you got to Montreal, what did you think? I thought that the culture was was much going to be much different than it was, and it's not even not even the players. Players aside, I mean, we had we had outstanding players, but I'm talking about the culture within the front office. I thought it was going to be much different than what it was, and and you know, one thing I didn't appreciate was the fact that. You know, when you got those kind of players at your disposal, instead of utilizing the skill set and allowing them to go out and perform like you know that they're going to do because they've been doing it year in and year out for God knows how long. I mean, shit, we all did it for 10 plus years and you don't use it like you have it, but you don't use it. Like I never really understood that logic. And that was my biggest thing with Montreal was. You know, we got Ryan Phillips and me in the secondary, two proving veteran guys and Chip Cox at Sam that are going to lead these young up-and-coming players to the promised land, but then you don't use us. Like, me and Ryan came in, and, and we were second team. I'm like, what in the world? Like, I, I've i never seen this before, but let's let's go around this corner and see how it's going to play out. And, I mean, they just never used it, and that front office was different to me. Like, I've never been a part of nothing like that. I, I thought that you you had a great training camp. I thought I, you had got hurt at one point. Um, yeah. RP, same thing. Uh, Don Unamba, um, I remember he called me. He's like, hey, man, can you help me get back in the league? I made some phone calls. We brought him in. I thought he had a wonderful training camp as well. Yeah, he did. Yep. And, and then yeah. we end up going with nobody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so crazy. It's like, what are we, it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> it was it was so crazy because I never seen nothing like that before ever, and I was just like, we got we got some guys that can make things happen, but you don't want to use them. So I don't know, kind of hard. 
kind of yeah. hard to win. What do you got to say for everybody? You know, you didn't, you know, when you wanted to retire, you said, hey, I'm not retired. I want to retire when I want to retire. Mm-hmm. What do you want to say to everybody about your career? What do you want to be left said? Like, this is the stage to just say what you want to say to get off your chest, to leave it be. You know, don't ever let somebody determine, you know, when you're ready to shut it down. Like, because at the end of the day, you know, I felt like my last year in Saskatchewan. Hold on, let me get out this building. It's kind of echo a little bit. But my last, my last, my last year in SAS, you know, I thought Jones really tried to, you know, take my career away from me. And, you know, I love Jones to death, and I think he's a hell of a coach. But instead of just letting me go out there, because I played the first nine games, and I was balling out. Like, I didn't, I didn't give up no big plays or nothing like that, but they wanted to go younger. And that's part of it. But, and I wasn't even making that much money. So it was never about the money. But they just, for whatever reason, was like, we're going to go with the young guys and we're going to win with them. Win, lose, or draw. So we get to the playoffs and we got the board members. I'm in the in the press box with the board members up in the booth. And they like, why, not, why are you not on the field? I'm like, well, you got to talk to y'all coach about that. And then we ended up giving up plays that should have never happened because of how they shaped the roster and had guys playing in certain spots. So, you know, just never let nobody tell you or or try to take away from you when you think you should be done. You you decide when you're going to be done. And I think that's probably the biggest – that was the hardest pill to swallow is that – and I had some opportunities after that in 2019. I could have went over – to Calgary and play with them, but I would have had to take a basically a rookie salary, which I wasn't willing to do, especially after after 13 years, I wasn't doing that. So, I mean, I just, you know, adversity is going to hit. You always going to deal with that as, a, as an athlete, whether professional, college, high school, whatever level, you know, how you respond to it is going to determine how much people respect you and how much credit you receive and, you know, I, I like to think that my career was was what it was because I was the ultimate pro and I was the ultimate competitor. I was willing to to put my the team above myself. And, you know, I had to learn the hard way my first year in the CFL. I thought I was better than everybody. But, you know, we had some really good players and a lot of great talent. But I just didn't see the bigger picture at that time. A young guy with a fire and wanted to try to win everything and take it all at once. But, you know, I learned from guys like Eddie Davis, you know, different pros that I played with that kind of got me to calm down and realize that, you know, everything was going to work itself out. Just put the work in every day and show and tell and don't worry about the results as much. You know, if you put the put it on film, you know, it, it was one thing for sure, two things for certain. They couldn't deny you if you put it on film every day. So, you know, that, that that's the biggest thing, man, just – you know, hard work every day, you know, be, you know, all about doing things the right way, you know, everything else to play itself out. So. When you look back on all you accomplished from defense player of the year, four year starter at Iowa, you know, big time D one school, you know, 13 years of pro football, all decade team, CFL all-star. How's it make you feel? You, can you sit back and smile and enjoy what you accomplished? Do you feel like you accomplished everything that, yeah, that was enough to be successful in your eyes of what you wanted when you set out on that journey? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I accomplished everything I set out to accomplish, but, you know, I, I still wanted more. I mean, I felt like, you know, I left a couple all-star years on the table, um, you know, just from my, my own doings, not making the plays that I knew that were routine plays for me, like, you know, dropping picks. Like, that, that was one thing that I did a lot of throughout my career. You know, I had years where I only had one interception on a year and I should have had six or seven just dropping balls 
you know, or fighting receivers for balls and, and that type of thing. I always got my hand on the ball, but I never really brought him in, you know, as routinely as I should have. Should have spent some more time on the jug machine now that I think <laughs> about it. I, 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 I have to practice doing doing extra work after practice on the jugs. Probably would have helped me. Well, I got the record for um, hitting a thousand yards with the least amount of touchdowns because I had one one year. Oh wow! Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy, man. That is crazy. Right, but uh, you know what? Um, I scored in week seventeen too, and against BC and Romby Bryant was our my teammate that year. He had just came in from uh, Winnipeg, and yeah, Romby. Romby got the record for most yards without a touchdown when I when I scored my touchdown. <laughs> that he <laughs> that he was second on the list. <laughs> <laughs> but now we both got our own record. He's got the most without one, and I got the most uh, – I got the 1,000-yard season with the least amount of touchdowns. So, Oh, wow. That's so, yeah, man, well, I appreciate you coming through the Lulu Logic podcast, man. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for sharing your stories. We out. All right, All right man, Nick. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. All right.